What's up, everybody? Welcome to Canell and Bell. Tommy training for Danny. He's going to be uh, off for the week, enjoying vacation. European vacation. Yeah, is that where he's going? Yeah, yeah. it's going to be like, uh, what was it, National Olympics. I was going to say, like Euro Trip, by the way, yeah. one of my favorite movies. Uh, Miss Cousy, Miss Cousy, <laughs> Miss Cousy. Miss Cousy. <laughs> well, hey, boy, here we are on a Monday morning, and yet all the talk is still about what happened late Friday slash early Saturday yeah. morning, depending on what coast you were on, Raja. And it is Kawhi Leonard, Paul George to the Clippers, not the Lakers. Yep. The Clippers uh, we have a lot to unpack here, but I just want to get your initial thoughts on Kawhi saying no thanks to the Raptors and no thanks to the Lakers. He is going back home. Shouts to Riverside. Yeah. And for PG-13, shouts to Palmdale. Yep. They're Clippers, man. I uh, I woke up Saturday morning. I was in Orlando for a basketball tournament, and I had an early wake up. I was taking my son to a quarterback uh, camp, and it came across like, you know, first thing I do is check my phone just to see what I – I thought it was a joke. Like, I thought it was one of those – you know, there have been a lot of things on Instagram about, you know, Kawhi being a Laker and – I was like, this is impossible, especially when I saw Paul George's name attached to it. But, I mean, it was a reality. And so, I mean, I wasn't as surprised that Kawhi went. I mean, I knew he was in the air. I thought that the Lakers would be, you know, in terms of getting everything you want in a situation, I thought the Lakers was probably going to be a, a better fit in terms of they could give him the max. He still would be at home. And I thought with Kawhi, LeBron, and and AD that that was a guaranteed championship. So you've checked all three boxes. Right. But that was, you know, assuming that there wasn't going to be another piece with him in 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 L.A. Uh, with the Clippers, and so obviously when you attach Paul George to that, you know, it changes the the narrative a little bit. I was just blown away by by what I read that morning. Yeah, and we're going to get to what it means for the Lakers, what it means for the Raptors, two teams that missed out on Kawhi. But let's just focus on the Clippers, who get the two-time Finals MVP. And I think that was the most surprising thing was not that Kawhi. Pick the Clippers, although toward the end of the week, everyone thought the three-team race ended up being a two-horse race. It's the Paul George factor of this, and a lot of it, of course, why was Kawhi in his camp extending free agency? Why did it take yeah. so long? There was the talk of, you know, maybe they're trying to test loyalty and all this other blah, 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 blah. And then we come to find out that it was because Kawhi wanted time to get another star to come with him, and it ends up being Paul George who, in fact, leaves Oklahoma City. So when you take a look at the Clippers and what they have, and we just showed sort of the roster right now as presently constructed, uh, how will these two stars help the Clippers along with Doc Rivers, Lawrence Frank, and Jerry West? Oh, dude, these guys, they're squarely in the mix now. I, I, you know, I saw the new odds that came out this morning. I don't know that I'm ready to crown them champs. I'm just not. There are a lot of things that have to play out. Um, you've now taken a, a, a roster that was basically, you know, um, doing most of their damage because of their chemistry, the Clippers that is last year, and you've re- you've introduced two huge uh, 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 new pieces into that. And so now there's a new chemistry experiment that begins. Um, on paper, you know, they're in the conversation, but I'm not ready to crown them like 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 other people have, but they are squarely in the mix for a championship. Um, with the, the pieces they have, you have three of the best defensive guard slash wing players in the NBA, and Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, who are two of the – best two-way players in the NBA. The odds are up now. The Clippers are 3-1, to one, so they've jumped to title favorites. The Bucks 4-1. to one, Lakers behind them at 6-1. to one. Uh, Fair, I guess. A lot like, of it's public perception. Remember when the Lakers were the all-overwhelming favorites? Sure. Thought they were going to quite. So right now, Vegas will also do this where they're obviously trying to limit some liability because they know the Clippers, the Lakers, and even back then were, were popular teams. So they, they want to make sure that you just don't throw a ton of money if they're 6-1 to one to 8-1, to one, which the Clippers were before getting Kawhi. Now they're trying to mitigate that a little bit, make it 3-1 to one, to your point saying, I like them. Am I going to bet on them? I'm going to hold off. Correct. All right. So um, 
I just, I love what they can do on the court in terms of what they locking down, right? And you, again, two of the best two-way players in, in the NBA. Patrick Beverly is one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. Um, you know, Mo Harkless is another kind of rangy wing player. They've got flexibility there and, and, you know, the way they fleeced the Lakers for Ivaka Zubak last year is going to come back to bite the Lakers in the butt potentially. That's interesting, but a very good young big. Montrez Harrell comes off the bench when you sit in Vaca and he's a guy who can switch one through five at times. You become just really versatile, you know, defensively. So I really like what they bring to the court. And I didn't even talk about Lou Williams, who was one of the best six men, um, and instant bucket. So there's a lot of good stuff with LA on the court. I want to give credit though to like what they've built in LA. Like the front office has done a remarkable job with Lawrence Frank kind of taking over and assuming those duties for Doc Rivers a couple years ago. There was a lot of talk. We even talked about Doc um, and whether you know it was time for Doc to go with the Clippers. I had always maintained that he just needed to one wear one wear one hat there, not be the GM and the coach. I think it speaks to the way their front office and their coaching staff is regarded that they're a destination that people want to go to. Like Kawhi and Paul George saying, I'm out. I don't want to be here anymore. People want to play for Doc. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA. He's won a championship. He's got cachet. People listen to him. He commands a locker room. Um, and then the front office has obviously done their thing. They've really built something special uh, out there with the Clippers. It's interesting because we live in a, a world now in the NBA where you're clearing slot for max space and then you're acquiring draft picks. And it's funny because you go to L.A. and you go to New York and you talk about the two-star franchises. It is the Lakers and the Knicks. Now, the Lakers obviously get A.D. and they've got LeBron, but they strike out on that third max player. And then when you take a look at both the Nets and the Clippers, in theory, this is what you're supposed to do. You talk about uh, L.A. with the CP3 trade, the Blake Griffith trade, yeah. most recently the Tobias Harris trade. You acquire all these picks, which now they're able to flip to get a Paul George in addition to what... Kawhi Leonard wants to do. I mean, that's what you want to do when you're in a position. You create max space. Yeah. They have the assets to flip, and then now you've got one of the best teams on paper in the NBA. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, that look. You. When we talked about when general managers take over teams and they're they're changing regimes. The, the, the articulation of your plan is one thing, right? And executing it then becomes something else. And so, yes, in theory, you know, when you saw that Blake Griffin, um, De- DeAndre Jordan, and Paul George. That shelf life, I mean, not Paul George, but, uh, Chris Paul, the shelf life had kind of expired. You weren't getting over the hump. You needed to move on. You know, obviously their game plan was to flip some of those, you know, acquire, you know, assets, you know, draft picks and, and, and keep flexibility with their cap to make the run when the time came, you know, at, at the Kawhi's. They, I think they made a pitch for Paul George last year and they didn't get him. Um, and so they executed their game plan. When you've got teams kind of like, you know, Boston, not to throw any shade, they kind of did the same thing for a while uh, with that Brooklyn deal, and they weren't able to ultimately execute it um, to the degree that, that, that they wanted to. And so we've all got plans. The execution becomes, you know, what it's about. All right. So OKC, by the way, does get Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, and again, those treasure trove of first-round picks in 22, 24, and 26, and a couple other unprotected ones as well. I mean, they're – they're, look, they got a haul of picks and I heard people like, you know, questioning whether, you know, it's, it's unprecedented, right? It's a lot, that's a lot of first round picks. First of all, the picks aren't going to be very good. They're, I mean, they're going to be. They're no good if you can't use them to get something like a player, Paul George. Right. And then, and then secondly, um, every franchise, given the opportunity to win right now, would mortgage a little bit of their future. You, those things are all rolls of the dice 
even if they are lottery picks, Tommy. They're rolls of the dice. You don't know. They're bust every year in the lottery. So if you get yourself bona fide stars and you have a window of opportunity to win now, and you can guarantee, I mean, you, they're not guaranteed, but that's what you're swinging at. Like, we're, we're trying to win this right now. That's the one thing. If you look at Boston's situation, we were talking about Danny Ainge and, and lauding him for acquiring all these picks. But ultimately, if you can't make it work and, and build the team to win now, we may look back in a couple of years and say, man, Danny Ainge didn't do enough with what he had. Now we're seeing, of course, the Clippers being able to do that. So the Raptors do strike out. Um, you know, Kawhi wants to go back to Southern California, but he did leave them a championship. But now there's some talk about, again, the, the sort of uh, details of the proposed deals that were in front of all these general managers. And, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, one of the big insiders in the game, talking about Sam Presti offering Paul George and Russell Westbrook to Toronto for a package centered around Pascal Siakam. And apparently Messiah Jury declined the offer um, added that Presti attempted to pit the Clippers and Raptors against each other again, of course, because knowing that Kawhi probably wanted to leave right now. Uh, did the Raptors make a mistake here by not entertaining maybe a little bit more what was reportedly in front of them? Look, I, if in fact they could have had Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook mm. in Toronto, in my opinion, they made a mistake. Um, that is... And, and I, I get that Russell Westbrook as of late has been, it hasn't necessarily translated into wins. And, and, you know, he's kind of polarizing in, in whether, you know, some people really love what he does and some people say, Hey man, it's, he's just got the ball in his hands, high usage rate and it's not translating. If you could have gotten those three, I don't know, you know, monetarily and, and cap wise what that does to, you know, your, your Serge Ibaka's and your Marcus Souls, cause those guys are on heavy contracts next year. But purely in giving up Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam um, and maybe a draft pick or two for a shot at Russell Westbrook and Paul George, I, w- I would have done that if it kept Kawhi in Toronto. Now, they've got the luxury of having just won a championship. And so, you know, if you're not on a quest to build a dynasty, you can say, hey, I just we just brought you one. We're going to rebuild this thing and take a swing at it in another three or four years. And, and so, I'm, you know, I'm not really judging it but I personally I I would have taken a swing at those three it's interesting because the talk about Kawhi coming back to Toronto might have been a one-on-one situation a short-term situation because they were they were going to run it back but you knew they were going to run it back for a year with Lowry Gasol uh, Ibaka they've got big deals although they all expire after next year so if you are Kawhi wanting to do a longer deal that the the future in Toronto might not be as bright as it is in LA right now and we talk about what they have right now and we know that Pascal Siakam is a, a a player that's on the rise although we don't know what his ceiling is Raja obviously most improved player means one thing great game in the final means another but is he going to be a perennial all-star uh, like we talked about right now what's your outlook on on Toronto moving forward um, this year, I don't know, trying to get into the, the bottom half of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. That'd be crazy. You talk about the Warriors and the Raptors for different reasons. Yeah. The low playoff seeds, or there is a, a scenario where maybe they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, it's kind of crazy. It's kind it is really crazy. I don't know if that, that, that might be a first. I mean, if it, but, um, look, they do a good job in Toronto. They have for years now of taking teams that don't have a lot of superstars and, 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 Building a, a good work environment and a great chemistry and 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 winning and in the Eastern Conference, the bottom half of the Eastern Conference isn't as strong as that bottom half of the Western Conference in terms of like you know five through ten. So you 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 probably get in if you're Toronto. You still have some players. Kyle Lowry's a really good player. I do believe Pascal Siakam takes a step up. Fred Van Vliet, um, Norman Powell. I I, th- I don't know what's left on Marcus Gasol and 
and Ibaka, uh, Ibaka next year. But I, I think they'll be okay. But, you know, championships are years, you know, down the line. And then obviously clearing the cap space and figuring out who you're going to pair with Pascal Siakam. If he becomes, uh, you know, a, a star in the league, he's going to need support for sure. All right. So our guys at Sportsline who crunches a lot of the numbers had Kawhi Leonard on the team as a two seed and mm-hmm. now without Kawhi still a four seed. So, uh, the analytics guys still saying he's wrong. they're at 92. He's wrong. 5% there without Kawhi to be a four seed. So he's wrong. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The sports line guys, uh, the numbers are going to be interesting to see. And we're going to keep that in the mental note as we, uh, as we take a look at that playoff time next year. All right. Then there is the third team, which we promised mm-hmm. to talk about again, the Lakers. They create the $32 million. AD gives up his $4 million trade kicker. Yep. They wait for Kawhi, and look, there's there was no, I think, regrets about waiting for Kawhi, potentially signing other players to try to fill it out, because we'll talk about who they ended up filling out the roster with. But them striking out with Kawhi says what to you? Um, You know, that I don't, I've said this before, and I, with all due respect to LeBron, because I am a fan, I've worked with him, I think he's a great dude, I don't know that that the magnetism that he used to have, that draw where people just could not say no to going there and playing. I don't know that it exists to the degree that it did before. Uh, and I think, you know, you've seen people now kind of, you know, hint at maybe not wanting to do it. You've seen them take swings at different people and not be able to get it done. Anthony Davis is a little different for me because they're under the same management. And I, from what I've heard about AD is he's a steerable person. Like he, he kind of, you know, can, I don't know that he's driving his own car, so to speak. Um, but that's what it says to me. And then the Lakers as a brand, it's the same with the Knicks. Like we're in a new day and age. Like I know those are historical brands and they're all time, you know, greats and they will forever be the big brothers in their city. I want to make that clear. Like the Clippers aren't all that they'll be good for a while and they'll be better than the Lakers potentially, but you're never going to be the team of LA. That's the Lakers team. Same with the Knicks, right? Even as bad as they've been, it's a Knicks town. Brooklyn will carve out themselves a little niche, but it'll be, but for the players that are playing now, they don't. They don't really care about the brand all the time. Do you know what I mean? They're going to go do what they need to do, where they want to do it, and they're not concerned necessarily with playing in Madison Square or uh, in the purple and gold. Because market size used to matter to your brand, a player's brand, but now with social media, Instagram, all that stuff, people can push that themselves. Uh, speaking of Instagram, here's uh, LeBron James, of course, with AD. The brow getting the twenty three, LBJ going back to the six. So, do you do you think it was a? Do you think it was a failure? Like if you're the Lakers free agency, do you think it was a failure? Here's the deal, right? <clears throat> if you are trying to to clear that cap space to get to thirty two mm-hmm. or that max slot, there was no other reason than to go for Kawhi. Right? right? There's there's no other reason to go to 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 that position as a franchise to not get Kawhi. And the thing, though, is interesting to me, and I, I, I pose this to you, I pose this to everybody, is just like, first off, what we think we know about Kawhi, I think we should throw out the window. Nobody really knows Kawhi well enough to, to kind of surmise and sort of say, well, he leans this way, leans that way. But what I'm saying is, like, anything that – what we've seen from Kawhi is that he generally thinks he's the best dude on the court, and he kind of wants to, to to steer the ship and you drive the car, however you want to say it. Now, Paul George is going to be – a Robin and a willing Robin. It, yep. it would have been interesting in Toronto if, if Russell Westbrook would have joined it, if he would have been willing to take that sort of backseat. I don't think he would have. And so then, you know, conversations that I've had with, with those around the league is like, well, you know, LeBron's at a stage in his life where he likes to defer, where he doesn't mind being, that he knows in about a year or two it'll be 80s and Kawhi's. That's the exact same reaction that I had too because I was like, 
even if LeBron said it, which I don't know if he would, he's just trying to sell you to get you Listen, there. And once you get there, you're going to realize it, that LeBron's going to be LeBron. Shaquille O'Neal, I love Shaq. He's my dude. He came to the Suns, right? He wasn't playing really with the, with the heat anymore. He had this, whether it was fake or not, he had a hip thing going on, right? Um, and we got him and, and he, he was a little longer in the tooth, right? And, you know, when he came in, his, his thing was, yo, I just want to be here and, you know, I want to, I want to help Amari become the greatest he can be and I want to help, you know, Steve was a two time MVP. So he was like, I want to, you know, help further Steve's thing and to all the shooters. He was like, you know, you guys are going to get open shots. I want to get you. And that lasted for, I don't know, three weeks. Yep. And then it became like, you know, Shaq, like any great player. And I don't, I don't mean this negatively. Like if you want me to do what I need to do, I need the ball. And that became like something that we had to adjust to. And we had to start getting him the ball because he was a unique talent. Um, and, and he wasn't, uh, you, you know, necessarily the greatest offensive fit for us, but we had to use that because that was a big weapon that we had. And so guys like that, even when they get older, there's not the the willingness always to just straight defer. And that was they my, want to do what they want to do. And that was my thing because because some people are like, look, you just throw the three best players on the court and they will figure it out. I'm like, will they though? Because there's got to be some level of chemistry. And yes. and then you know you talk about Kawhi, AD, and LeBron. Who's going to be the Chris Bosh and K Love of that group? And who's going to be that guy like willingly? I mean that that, yeah. that would be a bit of a struggle. In many cases, if you looked at it objectively, it actually should be LeBron. That's the thing. So then, like, are you going to say LeBron all of a sudden going to be the third tier guy? Just the facilitator. Right. That was something that I wasn't buying, certainly. And so, well, I think that like what what I watched with the Cavs was you can have two like the the LeBron now isn't the LeBron of the Heat. The LeBron of the Heat had to have two, you know, underlings, if you will. Right? You had to have a a a, a, a B and a C player. Like the LeBron of today and of a couple of years ago. They played one A and one B, him and Kyrie. Like he, he's not the same animal. I know that he knows that. Yeah. I don't know that he's willing to be the B player or the C player, but he'll let you be one B with him. I think he allowed Kyrie to do that. It's why they were able to win a championship. So I do believe that he can coexist with one other star and figure that out. But three of them, uh, when you drop in a hat, if one of them isn't willing to take the step back, becomes a bit of a problem. Uh, we got to hit a break here, but I want to wrap up the Lakers. One more quick thing before we, we move on, and that's just basically then striking out on Kawhi. So they backfilled the roster with Boogie, Danny Green, Quinn Cook. They bring back JaVale McGee and Rondo. Um, they had Dudley they brought in as well. So real quickly, Danny Green, A, going to get paid a lot. Good for you, Danny Two Green. 30. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a little, I mean, look. I'm a Danny fan. I, he made four shots in the in the finals. I, it's a lot of money, but I'm okay with it. Like I'm never going to begrudge a dude for getting his bread. Um, I like Quinn Cook and and Rondo. Not bad. Uh, you are light at that. You are light at the two guard spot with Jared Dudley, Troy Daniels, uh, Danny Green. You're light there. They're they're older. That that's got to be that's a premier position in the NBA in terms of defensively now. Like you you have to be able to sit down and play some D and move. And you know I think those guys are that that might be a Achilles heel for them this year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... 
Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Ellen Bell, Tommy, and Raja here, and Raja, we're the champs again. We're the best. Americans getting it done out in France, yeah. taking care of the Netherlands 2-0. Uh, the U.S. now has four World Cup titles, twice as many as the next country, which is Germany, which has two back-to-back, back-to-back for the Americans, and they got it done. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway? Did you watch it last night? I did watch. I, I watched it, uh, like, I didn't watch it live because I was driving back, um, you know, I was ex- I was excited for them, man. This is this is, you know, I my wife was a soccer player in in college, so I've always had I think more of an appreciation for for women's soccer just because I, I started watching soccer watching her, um, and our women's teams have always been very very good. So I I, I enjoy uh, watching the women's World Cup, and I'm and I and I just enjoy. You know, the fact that this group looked really, really loose. They really looked like they were having fun doing it, you know, and I know they got slammed a little bit earlier for, you know, all the celebrations and the goals and, and all that kind of stuff. But man, like, it, there's nothing better than being able to win championships, play on the highest level and have fun while you're doing it and enjoy being around the people that you're doing it with. And by all accounts, this group looked like they just really, I heard one of them say they refer to themselves. It might have been Megan Rapino of refer to themselves as like the 32 best friends or something like yeah. that or whatever they are, the 13 best friends. I don't know, but that, that's great. And, and I felt, you know, I, I felt joy for them because they looked like they were just having a blast doing it. Yeah. They were having fun on the field, on the pitch. And then if you saw some of the social media videos, obviously the locker room stuff was fun yeah. for them too. I mean, this is what you play for, and especially, you know, when it's the the women's game, which doesn't get as much notoriety as the men, obviously, because of the history. But, look, this is the eighth World Cup. Americans now have half as many titles during that time. And, and there's no bones about it. Like, what we invest into the, to the game um, is more than most countries. Because it's funny, because if you look at, like, normal superpowers in soccer, like Spain... Italy, their their women's division is not as it's not funded as nearly as right. well, or it's not nearly successful. For like for like Italy to, and Spain to get to the the places where they were at, like out of group stage, was like a big deal. On the men's side, if they don't even get out of that, or if they you know they're expected to get pretty deep. So that's kind of the, the expectation that's right. riding on it. And then for us, it's like we're arguably the best team coming in. France obviously had to say, Germany had to say. So that's a lot of pressure to come in knowing that you're good, expected to do well, oh, yeah. and then come through, which I think we put up the graphic. I think 26 to 3 in terms of the goal totals that we had through the tournament was pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, if I'm reading this correctly, and this is just, but I, it looks to me like some of these countries that weren't in the past, uh, funding their women's, uh, uh, you know, programs the yeah. same way. It looks like they are starting to at least marginally close the gap. Like there, there's more of an investment. Some of these teams, you know, while they weren't like huge challenges for the U.S., you just alluded to the goal differential and stuff like that. Some of these teams are putting out a really good product now that when you watch it, um, it, it looks like our product. You know, we ultimately win, but it looks like the, the, the gap is closing a little bit. And I think that's good. I think our women will still, you know, go out there and, and be favorites and still win a lot of them, but it would be cool to see some of these other countries for, for them to to invest on the women's side of the ball and, and make more of an even playing field in some cases uh, for the women's World Cup. Good news is you're talking about you know possible expansion at other big tournaments, the Olympics, uh, maybe in the World Cup, and then obviously increasing the pay, which is something that 
I know this uh, women's national team has has been championing for. The one thing that, that gets brought up too is like, are we ever going to talk about it outside of the Olympics? Are we ever going to talk about it outside of the World Cup? And it's the same thing for the men, to be honest. But yeah. it's interesting to me on the women's side because I mentioned how much we put in the resources and the athletes that we put out. And yet, most of like, when you talk about, especially like basketball, like yeah. we still have like WNBA stars that play their season because they get to be home, but then they spend a few weeks abroad, like yeah. in China or Europe because they pay so much more. Yeah. Now, the soccer players here, if you actually look at the uh, NWSL, which is basically the domestic league for women's soccer, most of the best players stay home and they play for the national team, so they get the comfort of being in the States. But it's like sometimes, again, you wonder if they can make a living. You know, the pressure of winning a World Cup, you get the money, but, man, it would be nice if you could just play professionally and, and be all right and, and, and do well and buy a house and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean – I think the conversation is moving forward with soccer in the country. Like some of the, you know, and I don't mean this to come off the wrong way, but the, the the men's leagues have to lead the charge with that, right? Like the healthier they get, the more stars you're able to extract from European clubs and they come to play for your major, um, you know, your major, uh, major league soccer teams, you know, in big markets, you know, the more eyes are focused on MLS, you know, the more the conversation of soccer is a hot topic in the United States. And with that, you know, women's leagues start to develop more and they get more funding. Some of them are owned by the same people that own the MLS clubs, right? Like, so they're hand in hand. Right. Um, so I think that goes a long way. I think that that's happening. You're, you're seeing guys come over. Who is it? Zlatan and, you know, Mexico had, you know, two strikers or two players from the LA Galaxy out there yesterday that were on, you know, playing CONCACAF against the U.S. And so you've got more stars that are even if they're in their twilight of their career, Wayne Rooney coming over, mm-hmm. that's all great for for U.S. soccer, for domestic soccer, and for the conversation, and then getting casual fans that wouldn't otherwise be tuned into soccer talking about it. I don't know that soccer ever becomes something that we talk about in the same breath with football, basketball, uh, and even baseball to a certain degree. I, I just don't. I don't know that. I don't. I don't. I don't know that that's where it, it goes. But it can be in that that tier underneath. Like, and that's not a problem for me. Yeah, they're trying to build, right? W- will there be a day that we're talking Canel and Bell that we're doing your sort of weekly MLS report? I mean, maybe not soon, but maybe. you never know. Maybe. I mean, they're, yeah. they're expanding. People are getting into it. I know. You know, soccer fans certainly love uh, their sport. And one big thing too that could could grow the women's sport is having stars. And there's a lot of youth now that to go for another World Cup. Uh, in a few years, uh, this World Cup dominated really by Megan Rapino. Sure, my goodness, she won the Golden Boot, the Golden Ball Award. Obviously, basically the clean sweep of everything you could have. Uh, came back from that hamstring injury along with Rose Lavelle and, and played pretty well. You know what was interesting was that we had uh, Thomas Rongin, our soccer analyst on HQ, and, and I asked him where Megan ranks among the greatest women's players of all time. You're talking about. Ambie Wambach and Mia Hamm and yep. Randy Chastain yep. and Harley Lloyd and TR said for him Megan is going to go down as, as the GOAT because of what she does on the pitch but also obviously some of the other things that, that make her noteworthy sure. and, and in the eye so he really thought Megan um, had a wonderful tournament yeah. and was going to go down as one of the best. Well he's way more qualified to speak as to who's the best women's player of all time than I am. Um, she is one of my favorites though and I remember seeing her Honestly, when, when she first started, um, like cracking the lineup for the women's team. Yeah. And I, you know, I watch it. So I, I didn't really know who she was. Um, but I said earlier, I was like, man, I, I like her style. Like she's out there and she's, you know, making things happen. And, 
You know, so I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. One of, one of the ones, one of the young ones that I really like watching play right now, uh, is Rose Lavelle. I, I, I you know, she kind of, she dances on the ball. She's quick. She creates space real fast. Like she hits, she hits the ball from different angles. Like it's an exciting style of play. Um, and I think you're right. We've got a lot of youth in that pipeline and the women's team's going to be in good shape, you know, yeah, for a long time. It'll be interesting to see if Jill Ellis comes back winning back to back world cups. No manager. Uh, both men or women had done that since like the mid thirties. Wow. So it's pretty rare for a coach because a soccer is like hockey. They don't keep their coaches. They, right. They just cycle through them all the time. So, but I will say, and we talked about this too with Jill Ellis as, as accomplished as she is as a coach. Um, she gets a lot of heat, man. She gets a lot of criticism tactically the way she does things. So even though, um, you know, she, she got a lot of flack, felt very vindicated by getting another World Cup. Well, you need to back up. I mean, whoever, whoever like, right? Like if you say she's accomplished something that hadn't been accomplished since the thirties, people need to back up. All right. We're going to wrap things up. By the way, Mexico did beat, uh, the men's team 1-0 in the Gold Cup final. Still a lot of youth with Greg Burhalter. So we'll be talking more about how they will try to get back to the World Cup after missing the last one for the men. Welcome back to Canel and Bell, Tommy, Raja, and Will Middlebrooks joining us. Will, what's up, man? What's going on, boys? So we Slow just, <laughs> it's baseball time, right? Right. Yeah. Favorite. Yeah. yeah. I was like, we just got out of a break and now it's the MLB All-Star break right now. You guys are both perfect to talk about the differences between Major League Baseball and, and the NBA, but we'll start with you. What's, what's the break like? I mean, are you looking forward to it? Oh, you're looking forward to it. It's a nice little break. No? Disconnect. That's our, that's going to be the main word for this disconnect. You totally, just get away from the game for a few days, hang out with your family, your kids if you have them. Just uh, go lay by the pool. Just do anything other than baseball. That, that's the biggest thing. That's what, the biggest thing for me. Disconnect, unplug. Yeah. What do you get? What it like time, time, time wise? How many days are you talking off? Like you have time to get Probably out of three. So you don't have time to get out of town. You're basically at the crib or. I'll- it's like 50-50. Some, some guys like to travel home to their house, sleep yeah. in their own bed. I, yeah. I guess it depends on what, what part of the country you live in. If it's a close flight, hour or two flight, right, right, bed. Right. If you can, like early game that Sunday, get out, get home, hang out, whatever. But um, I like just staying in the city I was in right, and just kicking back, not having to travel, anything like that, and just uh, having dinner like a normal human being, mm-hmm. not being at the park for eight, eight hours a day, you know? So that was my thing. When you were a young cat, did you go to the, like, all-star festivities? Like, I felt when I was younger in the NBA, I wanted to see him a few times and go, and then it got, like, I was trying to get away like you, dude. I needed to Yeah, kind of- like, I went to, I played in the Futures game when I was, it was 2011, so I was 22. Yep. And uh, so I kind of got the feel for the whole thing then. But I, I didn't play in a big league all-star game. Thanks for bringing that up. Right. Uh, <laughs> I didn't either, bro. I was, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just want to go I'm watch. Just I'm just kidding. No, but uh, I mean, it would have been fun. But yeah. at the same time, you played 90-plus games, and you still have another 85, 90 more, sure. or 90-plus, I guess. So it's time for a break. Yep. You said you played in the Futures game. They they switched the format for the first time. They kind of went from Team USA versus the world to kind of, I think, uh, depending on your affiliation, National League versus American League. Like, do you, you know, what did you think of that? And, and then, obviously, what was your good memory from playing in the Futures game? I, I like the way they switched it up. I like that because you're integrating the when – when you break it up, it was just, it's just kind of weird. I mean, you, you still know all those guys because yeah. you play against them, you play with them. Uh I like the way they do it this way because it's more like the the big league all star game. Mm-hmm. It's more realistic. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of those guys end up playing in those games anyways. But uh, my, my so we were in Phoenix for mine, and my team was stacked. <laughs> I had Harper, Trout, Machado, Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. We were decent. Good. We were squad, decent, man. and then me. 
So yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but we had a blast. It was in Phoenix too. So. So one of the other changes, and it's been debated in the NBA, right? Because we can't get all the time our best dunkers to come out and dunk, right? Because there's really no real incentive. And so for the home run derby, like they've incentivized it now, right? It's a million to the winner. A million bucks. Um, Half of these guys are making league minimum too. So they go from making 500K to 1.5, you win this. Right, right. Do you think it will change um, enough to really get viewers back, you know, watching the home run derby again? I think so. Maybe not this year's. Most people probably don't even know about right. it yet. So, uh, once it becomes a bigger deal, it's more publicized, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there'll be more emotion and guys, sure. you know, getting into it. That's a lot of money. I mean, even yeah. if you're a big name guy, which a lot of these guys aren't. I mean, a lot of these guys, like I said, are making league minimum. That's a lot of money. Right. That's a lot of money. And we take a look at the bracket right now. Matt Chapman's a fill-in for Christian Yelich, who's out with a back injury, I believe. So you got him going up against Vlad Guerrero Jr. Got Bregman against Jock, Pete Alonzo against Carlos Santana, and then Josh Bell and Ronald Acuna Jr. So when we take a look at the young players there, here's the odds to win. And Josh Bell, who right now has had a fantastic first half to the season, is actually your betting favorite. But I want to ask you, Will, who who do you like to win this thing? You know, looking at the list, it's it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, any of these guys could win. But I'm going to go Pete Alonzo. This guy has just got ridiculous, ridiculous power. Yeah, I think he leads the league with 20-plus, over 20 homers that are over 400 feet. Mm. And six of those are like 440-plus. Which So that, that tells me he's got the power where he can miss balls, he can hit pop-ups, line drive, top spin balls, and they're still going to go out. Supposedly the balls are a little juiced <laughs> uh, in the home run derby. We'll, we'll get into that. Just the yeah. home run derby? <laughs> Just the home run derby. Is, is it purely about power when you're picking a winner? Cause like in the three point shootout, you would look at a guy's technique and you'd be like, well, he, he's a jumper. Like, and he's leaving the floor too much. That's not sustainable. It's the guys with like, you know, that are barely getting off the floor that have a better chance. Like, so is there something about their, their actual stroke yeah. or anything? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole launch angle era that we're in right now, yeah. for the most part, just about all these guys have somewhat of an uppercut swing. So all these guys really fit the mold of right. how, how I would pick a winner. But I just like the sheer just Brute caveman strength, strength yeah. of this guy. And he's young, and he's just not scared of anything. He's on top of the world right now. Right, 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 right. Confidence is not lacking for no. one Pete Alonzo. He, he makes it known. He's a rookie, and, I mean, he's uh, – yeah, he's got almost more homers this year in the first half I had in my career. So it's, <laughs> this is – it's even really cool to watch, especially in New York and that market, too, and all the pressure gets to him all the things going on with that team. So, be good, so you like Pete Alonso. I like Alex Bregman. We talk about actually his swings as maybe as flat as flat, you can get. Yeah. So, so I think he can sustain that. And you and I were talking about it. It's kind of interesting. He's kind of the old veteran now. He's only like 26 years old. Right, and yet right. we have a lot of youthful guys that are going to be in this home run derby and that'll be introduced to, uh, you know, the country really. And for those who haven't got on the Vlad Guerrero Jr. train yet, I think they will tonight. We've got some video of dude just raking right now. And if you haven't seen oh, it, yeah. I mean, Yo. talk about guys with power. It's always a coin. Well, he's way, he's bigger than his daddy, huh? Oh, he's a big boy. Man. He's a big boy. He's got crazy pop. And talking about technique and yeah. mechanics, like the mechanics Ooh. of his swing is just like balls. what every hitting coach is teaching right, right. now. He's like a young right-handed Prince Fielder. And I remember <laughs> like that. I don't know if that's a compliment. Tom. I know, I know. Well, I mean, at least oh. it, I mean, it is now until he gets yeah, a few years that's under his belt. But I mean, just I mean there's just so much bat speed there, and the ball just flies off. It's it's fun to watch. He, he, Toronto needed that because they're kind of on the downslope right now as far as their team. Right. 
and they're probably going to trade Strowman, who's like their one fiery guy that people come to watch. So it's good to have him there. Yeah, put him in a showcase there for Toronto. Uh, we talk about sort of swings, whether it's an uppercut swing, a, a flatter swing. History tells us that people that participate in the Derby and even win the Derby, their numbers actually go down after the break. And, and, and we have a graphic here. The middle says before, these are uh, percentages of home runs per game. And as you see, the last few winners, including Harper, Judge, and Stanton, those numbers all go down. Look, numbers say one thing. We know that analytics are, are a big part of baseball, Will, but but how much does participating in the Derby have an effect on someone's swing? I don't think it's the Derby that is in decline. I think it's the longevity of the season. It's, it's 162 games. You're playing through injuries. You're grinding. So the second half of the season, most of, most of the time, guys' numbers are down. I don't think it's the home run derby. I mean, these guys... It just be nice, convenient that it happens in right, the middle, and that's why right. those numbers are the way they are. Exactly. That's that's my opinion. I think it's a mental thing. If, if anything, if, if you say this this hurts your swing, I, I feel like you're looking for an excuse, honestly, because these guys spend countless hours working on their swing, per- perfecting their craft, and you're telling me two hours of trying to hit some homers is going to completely wipe all that work out? I don't, I don't believe it. I want to ask him a question just because I, I haven't tuned into baseball very much so far. But I will watch down the stretch. So storylines for me as a casual fan tuning in down the stretch that I need to be checking out. Uh, definitely paying attention to the Yankees. I mean, nobody's stopping them. They seem so, so unstoppable right now. And I feel like they're going to get better this month. Right. Um, they're going to get Severino back, one of their main starters from the last couple of years. And they're going to get possibly a right-handed pitcher and Marcus Stroman. I think that's a guy they should go get at the trade deadline just because they have the prospects to give up. Mm-hmm. Maybe New York, maybe Houston, when healthy, one of the best teams. One thing I do want to ask is I'm a West Coast guy, I'm a Giants fan, but I obviously have a lot of respect for the Dodgers and the way they do business. They're one of those teams, though, that they're on this three-slash-four-year run where they're doing everything right. They have depth everywhere you look, maybe – reliever they could probably go get one but what i mean by that is like regular season do well you get to the world series back-to-back years but you don't win it you had a chance to obviously get to there and and win it with the red Sox. but like you know how tough is it to would you be on that team where where you do everything the right way you're having success but you can't get over the top yeah it's like you're almost looking for like that one player to bring in that puts you over the top so right now they're like spark plug is bellinger right so he's mvp caliber player this year he's trying to get the triple crown, which he's pushing for. And he really, I mean, Josh Bell's going to be in the way, but right. that guy's already got 84 RBIs. It's a joke. But um I think Bellinger puts him over the top. Like you said, maybe the back end of the bullpen. Not, I mean, Jensen, Jensen's good, but like maybe a setup guy before him to set him up and get to him and not give up the game, I think would be a good piece to go get. Back to Canel and Bell, Tommy and Raja here. Let's talk some, some NBA and start picking up where we left off with the Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm discussion i sort of saw on social media remember the big three russ kd harden yeah and it was kd and russ and it was russ and pg 13 <laughs> right now it's just russ it's just russ yeah and mellow i guess if, if that ends up coming to fruition but like they're talking about bringing Mello back. That's what I'm in my ear. It's what, hey, what i'm hearing yo. okay uh, on that, that minimum we didn't go to the lakers Good for mellow supposedly right right Dude's an MVP, triple-double machine, uh, but the end game hasn't been there for him, right? Yeah, I feel like, you know, they had a shot. There was a window there for that team, and, and then they didn't figure out the James Harden situation. 
Um, cause they were in the finals. And then that 16 team too was really good. Yeah. The Warriors. Yeah. And then, and you know, and so I am not one of the believers that his style can't translate into wins. Uh, I've always believed that unique talents are, 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 are rare. Like there are not a lot of guys walking around that can do what he does. You know, you have to figure out no, to some degree it's on him to figure out how to, you know, make that work in a winning formula. And then it becomes on your general manager in your front office to put the pieces around him that will supplement what he does. Like Allen Iverson was a unique talent. I played with Allen Iverson. He wasn't for every team. Like you couldn't drop him on every roster and expect that to work for various reasons. But the Philadelphia 76ers on the team that I got to play on, you know, in the finals, they had figured out exactly what needed to be around Iverson to, to give his team the best chances to win. And, you know, that's what has to happen when you're dealing with Russell Westbrook. He's going to be making a lot of money. Still got uh, four years, 170. Now it becomes, though, the discussion because Sam Presti has tried to bring in pieces around him. Right. Like a Paul George. What decisions should you be having? Should you continue to try to get another star? I don't even know how many are even out there to try to pair him with. Then there's a discussion, if you ship him, is he able to mesh with someone else? Like So, for instance, for argument's sake, things that have been floated around, like the Heat. Somehow they're able to make that deal work with Jimmy Buckets and he gets out there. What would that be like? Right. Uh, Well, I personally think it's time for them to move on and it's time for him to move on. I I think this is one of those where it doesn't have to be – there doesn't have to be any animosity. It doesn't have to be a a bad breakup, but – I think the shelf life has it, it, it has kind of run its course there. It's time for him to go out and see what else is out there for them to figure out what they can get for him and start the rebuild there in Oklahoma City. Um, it just it just hasn't worked for one reason or another. There have been good times. We've had a good run, but it just hasn't worked, and, and I think it's best for everybody. I don't know where he winds up. Um, I don't know where he fits the best. You know, Miami's always in the market for stars, star-driven town. Um, but I, you know, I don't have the answer to that. But in terms of whether that should continue to move forward with Westbrook in OKC, my opinion is they both need a change of scenery. So here's another th- a wrinkle though, too, right? Cause we, we just saw this with like the Sacramento Kings, this mm-hmm. free agent offseason. You can have money, you can have all these things. And then trying to acquire generational talent is nearly non-existent. Milwaukee lucked in with Giannis. Yeah. OKC's had you this have to nice draft run. it. Or trade for. Or trade for. Right? Because Detroit, yeah. like they got Blake via trade, overpay. Like they're yeah. just not going to get Correct. free agents. So if you're in OKC, though, the fans, and they've been, they've been great. Every playoff loss, they've, they've greeted them at the airport. Right. You think fans would be okay seeing Russell leave and go, hey, we're just going to hit this reset button. Oh, we're going to be okay in two, three years. It doesn't always work out that way. No, but I mean, if you are a general manager, you, you know, fans are fans, dude. Like they, they, they're always going to have their opinion. Your job is to figure out what's in the best interest of your franchise going forward. What's the healthiest thing for your franchise going forward? And so, you know, Sam Presti may say that's 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 Russell Westbrook, and that I, I could be wrong. That's fine. I just personally think that you know you've tried everything you can out there to win, and it hasn't worked, right? And you saw what the Clippers wound up having to do with that team. At some point, you just got to say this isn't this isn't getting getting it done. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got a game plan and you've got targets to, to pair with Westbrook and you say, we've tried this a couple times and we've, we're learning from our mistakes and, you know, these were the pieces we thought would work with him and they didn't. And these are the pieces, you know, through trial and error that we know will work with him. And we're going to go out and get those in the next year or so. Like, if that's what you're saying to me, do it. Anything short of that. If you're just sitting there like, what do we do now? Like what, you know, we just got Russ and nothing else really. Then go ahead and move that. Get you, get yourself the draft picks that will allow you to go out there 
and potentially get some homegrown talent and start start it over again. All right, let's end the rush discussion with this. Our guy Todd Furman literally just tweeted this out yeah. right now, right? Who's Russ going to play game one for this upcoming season? Thunder betting favorite seven to four. The Knicks next at two to one. Uh, yeah, the it's a star driven town too. I mean. So R, I like RJ. I think RJ's, I think RJ's fantastic. What's, what's RJ's ceiling? What is it? I say this about all draft picks, not just RJ. What's right. their ceiling? Like you, you know, when they got, when we traded Andrew Wiggins for, you know, I don't know, Kevin Love hey, at love. the time, you know, when, when David Griffin and them were asking me about it, my opinion was what's Andrew Wiggins ceiling? It, it's probably somewhere beneath LeBron's. So if trading him gets you LeBron in his prime, I'm doing it. Like, right. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I guess, you know, if I had to give up RJ to get Westbrook, this is just me. Yeah. I, I probably would go get him. Now, the question with the Knicks is, are you in any position to start winning right now? You're not, right? Like, you're years away from that with a roster. So I don't know that Westbrook, aside from just filling the star, like, uh, marquee above yeah. Madison Square, I don't know that he fills any other problems. I probably, in that situation, stay young. And just develop, develop, and figure out who we are. But in other situations like that, if you thought you had an opportunity and it required giving up some young, you know, young pieces to get Westbrook and drop in, and you got a chance to, you know, be viable, I, I'd do it. So we saw R.J. Barrett play his first summer league game Friday against his old Duke teammate Zion Williamson. Williamson shut down for the rest of the yeah. summer league, got a, a bruised left knee. I don't know, you know, it's summer league. I don't know if he's going to be playing more than two or three games, anyways. But. um you know, what did you think of Zion coming out? Got a little Kevin Knox. I don't know if you saw the video. I did. I saw the game. The ball away. I watched the game. Kevin Knox yeah. and then throwing it down. So um you saw it. What did you think? Uh It was interesting. I thought, you know, some of what he does translated. Like, if you can get him towards the rim with a head of steam, I mean, he is going to finish at the NBA level. Like, ah. yeah, He is a physical brute. Mm. Um you know, he got a few jump shots punched. Um, you know, there were a few plays that he was able to make in college, you know, around the rim and going to the bucket that we're not showing in these highlights because these are all his good plays that got swallowed up and beat up by some bigger, better, you know, players that had played one year in the NBA. And so those are going to be the hurdles that he has to clear. N not unlike any rook, right? Like you're able to do things at the college level. Some will translate at the NBA level. Some you'll have to get better at or won't translate at the NBA level. And you have to figure that out. I, I think he will be a good player in the NBA next year. Real, I, I, I 16, 18, 20 a game and a bunch of rebounds. I, I do. Cause he's going, really? they're going to play at a pace where he gets rim runs. Okay. And that's the type of player though that I believe he is. I don't see the nuanced, skill the way everybody else does like I don't know that he's going to be a playmaker where you're going to give him the ball and he's going to be out there you know getting into his iso bag and figuring out you know how to carry you on his back I don't know that he ever becomes that kind of player that's just my opinion but he is a dynamic rim run type of player you get him the ball he can make a move get downhill on you or put him in the post he can get some buckets there um so he'll get a lot in the NBA, but I don't know he's ever going to be the dude like LeBron. I've said that from the start. I don't know that that's in the cards for him. Which not every number one pick can be, but the popularity. No, but we hype this one. I was like, going to say like it should be correct. I'm right. saying like with well, the way we've talked about Zion, uh, even more than Anthony Davis, even more than some of the other first round uh, top overall picks. There, uh, to your point, comparable to LeBron James in 2003. We got a couple minutes left yep. here. Uh, this just in. 
15-year-old American sensation Coco Goff has lost at Wimbledon in the round of 16 to Simona Halep, former uh, number one yeah. world player. So it's an amazing run. Didn't even think maybe we'd get to, to Monday because she had to save two match points against uh, Herzog there in the previous round. I, I watched it. We were watching it in our newsroom uh, not far from us in Delray in Fort yeah. Lauderdale. Her dad's got a bar that was getting all the local media and attention. I mean, she owned for, for a day and really a weekend – uh, along with the American women, the hearts and the minds of everybody across the country. Man. Yeah, this young lady is tough as nails. Um, and I, I have, look, losing to Simona Halep in the round of 16 at Wimbledon is, is, I mean, for a lot of pros, that's a fantastic, I mean, like season pros, that, that's a fantastic run in Wimbledon, right? And you're just starting your journey as a pro. I, I have a 12 year old son and God bless him. I love him to death. He's a great little athlete, like a great student and all that. But just maturity, you know, is, isn't there. He's a baby. So to think that she's three years older than him, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Playing against grown women who have been pros for a decade plus on the biggest stage on the planet for their sport. Um, and doing what she's doing, like, or doing what she did. It just blows my mind. Like it's, it's pretty remarkable, man. She's an incredible story. And we talk about, you know, sort of the American men and women in soccer and tennis right now. There, there really is no great American male star. It's all on the women's side, obviously. Coco beat Venus on, yeah. on the way during her tournament to the round of 16. Obviously Serena's still there, but doing things at 15, like Jennifer Capriati, just the stuff that has not been done in decades she was doing. And hopefully we get to see more of her. That's my, that's my hope. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, and especially in a sport, like I touch on this from time to time, especially in a sport like tennis where, you know, I mean, you know, quite frankly, a, a lot of young African American males and females don't get the opportunity to necessarily pick up tennis rackets. It's, you know, we don't have tennis courts in a lot of our communities. And so, you know, that's a pretty cool thing for, 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 for myself, you know, my, my little girl, uh, and, and people like that to have someone like Coco and Serena and Venus to kind of model themselves after, you know. All right. We got to wrap things up. By the way, home run derby. I like Alex Bregman. Pete Alonzo is Will Middlebrooks' pick. Who you got? I'm going with Vlad, bro. You Vlad just showed Jr.? me a video of him stroking it. I'm going with Vlad. All right, everybody. We'll see you. Have a good day.